Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, this life, um, whatever it may mean to each of us here, if we know you, uh, it's basically um, singing lessons of us learning how in all situations in our lives and all the things that we come through and all the things you lead us through, to be able to give praise to you, to be able to wrestle through the things that are in our path, things that have been in our family, things that are in our own hearts, but to come out praising you and being able to share that praise and that testimony of your saving grace with the people around us. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he has done for us, what he has done to us, and how he gives us that song that we can share with others. And we thank you in his name. Amen. Well, I suppose I'm obligated to say, Happy Mother's Day. And, uh, I, you know, actually, there's still quite a bit of time here. I could really preach a longer sermon, but I might, you know, just for the sake of Mother's Day, make it a little shorter. We'll see what we do. Um, so if you have a Bible, look at um, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 13. I'll see what we can do to get this out of the way really quick. Love is not irritable or resentful. Okay, the idea of irritable is being easily provoked. And the idea of uh, resentful is that you store up wrongs that have been done to you. Okay, so here's the deal. Don't be resentful. Don't be irritable. Stop it. Let's pray. No. Wouldn't that have been neat? You know, the thing is, when you find a text like this, one of the things that hits you is, well, aren't we, I, I mean, who lives like that? I mean, I wish I could live like that. I mean, I wish that I would never be irritable. I wish that I would never remember things that have been done to me or let them influence me. And I think that what Paul is going to be saying here and what we'll be what Paul is saying here and what we'll be talking about is the fact that um, nobody can live that kind of an artificial life. I don't think God expects us to. He expects us maybe to pay attention to those things. But you know, in the the uh, life outside of the church, people think this is what the church and what Christians are all about, that we're holy and we're perfect. And we never have any problems because of this guy named Jesus. And, and to become a Christian means that you become basically inert and docile and passive. And, you know, you could like aim a bazooka at a Christian and they wouldn't even budge. You can cut in front of them in a the line and they won't even care. And that's obviously a false perception. I had a friend when I was in college... Um, uh, Bob Giovanetti, quite a uh, talented person, and he wrote a little song. And I think that song encapsulates this a little bit. Um, it went kind of like this. <clears throat> I wake up every morning at the break of day, walk over to my mirror, look at myself and say, I am a worm. And I'm low down good for nothing at all. I don't walk down the street. I crawl. I go around feeling three feet tall. And everyone's better than me. And after I've said this 40 times, I go out on the street. My hands in my pockets. My head hanging low. My eyes looking at my feet. Please step on me. 
rob me, beat me, scorn me, use me. It's good for me when people abuse me, tie me to a bomb and fuse me. I won't put up a fight. I'll save the other two verses for another sermon. But the reality is, is that God knows who we are and and, and we're always going to fight with being irritable. We are always going to fight with being resentful. And I think the idea is God wants to bring it to our attention. As long as we walk on this planet, as long as we are here, it's there's going to be this stuff that settles on us. Things are going to happen to us on a daily basis, driving from home to work or wherever you are where there's going to be injustice and there's going to be things that are unexplainable, things that happen that should not have happened. And I think what God is saying here is, or what Paul is saying to these Christians, and we'll talk about this in a couple of seconds, is that you need to work through this so that your love can look a particular way. Because I really do think that we still love each other even when we're irritable. And I'm not reflecting on moms at all. Dads. Dads can love when they're irritable. Dads can love when they're resentful. But I think what Paul is saying here is there's a much better way. And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So as long as we're here in 1 Corinthians... Um, just a, a little bit of background here. Uh, Paul starts the book out by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ, Je- called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and our brother Sosthenes. Now, I don't know if that puts fear in your heart, but it definitely put fear in the hearts of these Corinthians. Because this church was full of baloney, whatever that means. There were, there were bad things happening in that church. And here's the deal. Sosthenes used to be the ruler of the synagogue who had become a Christian. And when, when Paul starts a letter like this, this is really loaded because what he's saying is, as I'm writing this, Sosthenes is sitting right next to me and he's ratted on all of you. And they're going, oh no. Paul knows what's going on here. This is the church that had all the gifts. This is the church that had all the divisions. This is the church that had lawsuits where people in the church were taking one another uh, into court before unbelievers. This church had problems. And I always love it when people say, you know what, we need to get back to the New Testament church. It's like, really? Ah, There are a lot of churches I wouldn't have gotten back to. But even within this, there's a little bit of a lesson because as these problems came up, the Holy Spirit moved people like Paul to write. And therefore, we have so many of these letters and we can learn from them. So, the issue here is that these things were happening between Christians. So, when Paul, in chapter 13, chapter 12, is talking about gifts... And, and again, the, the church was using the church for themselves. The church was using the church to say, hey, look at me. Hey, look at me, what I can do, because God gave me this gift. And there were other people that were mad because they hadn't gotten that gift. And so, all sorts of funny things. And now, this would never happen here. But it happens. And so, God, in all of His wisdom, 
knew that we would have to have some teaching about this. Because the reality is, wherever we go, there are always going to be things that irritate us. No matter who we are, no matter what we have been through, there will be something new that we're not expecting. There will be things, there will be injustices done to us. Maybe they haven't been done yet, but they will come. Where somebody does something to you that is not right, and there will not be restitution, there will not be justice, how are you going to deal with that? Unfortunately, sometimes that happens in the church. Now, if that is so much a part of daily life, I think what's happening here is Paul is saying, so here's what you have to know. Here's what you have to know. Your love cannot be infected by these things. And if it is, like I said at the beginning, stop it. And now you say, now where is the teaching going to come from for all of these, the, uh, this, this stuff about irritability? Because Paul says nothing here about how not to be irritable, right? And that is the genius of the Word of God. The whole Word of God. Because, see, God has not put a book together that is artificial, like that song that I sang. There are no artificial people in the Bible. There were people who struggled just the way we struggled. There were people who had to deal with things that are so much bigger than most of us have to deal with. And we see their stories right on the pages of the Word. And that's why when I talk about discipleship, I say so often, you have to be in the Word of God every day. And not only that, I really think, and I would never make this a law, but I think we need to read through the Word of God every year. Because there are things there, there are stories there, there are situations there, there's teaching there that God really needs to work with us in our heart. You can imagine going through um, uh, like a, a, a sandstorm or something like that. Sandstorm's a good illustration, actually. And you come back in the house, you're okay, you survive, but you're dusty. How are you going to get that dust off of you? The washing of water with the Word. And I don't know about you, but if I was living in a dirty, dusty, grimy, uh, humid, or uh, can it be dusty and humid at the same time? I don't know. But if it would be, you would be, you would need to take a shower every day. And our situation on the spiritual side of things is so much uh, more serious. We need to be with the Lord every day. So what about this thing with irritability and everything? Um, the sandstorm, uh, how does God use, um, say, this, th- this thing about irritability and uh, resentfulness with us? Well, uh, the reason a, a sandstorm is a good illustration is a pearl. I just say that up front, right? Because a pearl forms around an irritation. The irritation is still there. But as the oyster keeps secreting stuff around that irritation, it actually turns into a pearl. So throw that out there. Um, let's look at some irritated people. How's that? And, why, and as long as it's Mother's Day, let's look at irritated mothers. So if you have a Bible, uh, let's look at First Samuel, chapter 1. That, by the way, was in the reading for the one-year Bible this week. So 1 Samuel chapter 1, and you are fairly familiar with this story. Verse 4, 
this guy named Elkanah uh, went to Shiloh to sacrifice. And on that day when Elkanah sacrificed, he gave portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a, a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, just so you know in the story, Hannah's not a mom yet. But here's the deal. God gave her her problem. And that's probably important to note here. Because the Lord had closed her womb. The Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, her rival used to provoke her. So what does irritable mean? It means easily provoked. It would be the equivalent of receiving an injury or having an infection or some kind of rash or something so that the mere touch on your skin would cause you to jump. That's what the word irritable means. Easily provoked, raw, sensitive. I don't know if you've ever had like an infection or something too. You hardly even notice it. And then all of a sudden you just touch wherever that thing is and it sets you off. And this is a person who is irritable. Easy to be provoked. What makes them provocable? Um, more often than not, an injustice, a situation that's come into their lives that they are not able to deal with. And this was the case with Hannah. Her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. What are you going to do with that? And the thing is, she's trapped in this marriage. She's trapped in this situation. How in the world is Hannah going to get out of there? Why in the world does the Lord allow stuff like this in our lives? And this isn't even allowance. This is on purpose. Well, obviously, He has a plan. Now, you know, the, the one thing that's kind of interesting about this is that, you know, you'll hear like motivational speakers say that what doesn't kill us makes us strong. Not necessarily. Challenges make us better. Not every time. It's how we deal with it with the Lord. And see, there is our great asset, isn't it? That we know Jesus Christ and we have the Word of God. I mean, because a person on their own sometimes doesn't deal well with this stuff. And so here is Hannah. And we know the story of what happens, right? Go down to... Verse 10, she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give me, give to your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. So she promised that if God would give her a son, she would give that son back to the service of the Lord. And we know how this turns out, right? But here's the point. The irritation created a pearl. It drove her to her knees and she cried out to God. There are an infinite number of ways she could have reacted to this. She reacted exactly the way God wanted her to react. And the outcome of that was Samuel. And Samuel saved Israel. We're reading about him right now in, in Judges. 
And the thing is, God needed to produce that within her heart. And I'm just going to say right now, if there are things in your life right now that you're having a hard time dealing with, maybe what God is really saying is, how are you going to let that work in you? Are you going to come to me? Are you going to let me figure out the solution with you? Or are you going to do something else? Are you just going to be irritable? I mean, that's just a natural part of it, isn't it? The thing is, what the Lord is bringing to our attention through Paul and others is that if we have that irritability, we need to be on red alert. We need to be thinking about, what does God want to do right now in my life? What is He trying to produce in me right now? It's, you know, they say in church growth, that the uh, most powerful force in church growth is discontent. Now, we don't need discontented people. We don't need complainers. And, and that's the, the whole point. It's understanding that something could be better. There's understanding that something could be developed better. And it can be that way in your life. It could be that way in your marriage. It could be that way in your schooling. It could be that way at work. But the big question, and this is where God led Hannah to, was crying out to him. Are you allowing the irritation, whatever it may be, to bring you to God? Because you will obviously get through it. God will bring you through it. What is he trying to produce in you? Now, I was, I, I've been in a situation before where um, uh, right after I came to faith, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I I could rack up stuff that I could have been irritated and upset about and all this kind of stuff. But as a believer, because that's part of the text, right? And so I remember being in church and not thinking things were the way they could be. All right? I remember thinking things could be better. And... Um, I, you know, I kind of ventilated my tonsils a little bit. I mean, expressed myself, I think, in a, in a good way. But I realized that things weren't going to change. And so in my prayer before the Lord, what eventually happened, and this is the weird thing, is the Lord used that to take me into service. Because I saw that there is a need for discipleship. I saw that there is a need for the church to be um, to be held up and to be led in a way where people can be nurtured and shepherded. And, and you know, there's one thing. You can stand there and you can just complain all you want and tear the, uh, the scab off your ulcer. Or you can just say, God, what are you trying to do here? And that's what the Lord used to build into me. The desire to be trained in ministry, go to Dallas Seminary and all that stuff. And so my question to you right now is that if you have that, what is the Lord wanting to do with that? Because it's an important thing. So the Lord brings irritation in our lives to bring us to Him, to focus us on something. If you haven't figured it out yet, you've got some homework to do. Now, since it's Mother's Day, I thought it would be good to talk about one more irritable mother, provoked mother. And this one is in Matthew and of course, isn't that great the way it turned out for Hannah? She had actually other kids. Fantastic. Well, we in Matthew 15, you find another mother. And the provoker is Jesus. Or how did that happen? And I'll just say this up front. Sometimes the Lord brings provocation, irritation in our lives 
to be a lesson to other people, not just to us, but to others. So, in this, in Matthew 15, you have the story of the Canaanite woman in verse 21. And Jesus went away from Galilee uh, and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman, it says a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, a Canaanite woman from that region heard about Jesus and her daughter had an unclean spirit. And as soon as she heard about Jesus, she made a beeline for him. She comes in and she begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. So what is going on here? He did not answer her a word. It seems like here's this woman in great need, right? I mean, she would be raw. And you would think Jesus would just pour tons of salve on that and cream. And that's not happening here. Jesus basically ignores her. They get up out of the house and they start walking away from her. The disciples are so distressed, they run after Jesus and it says they beg Him to send her away. Because she's crying after them. As they're walking, she's behind crying, Oh, Son of David, help me! It seems that Jesus is kind of provoking her. And then when He finally turns around and He says something to her, what does He say? I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's not the answer she wanted. And so she gets on her knees and she says, Lord, help me. And then Jesus says these words that are so hard, right? Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and to throw it to the dogs. What in the world is Jesus doing? I mean, is he provoking her? Is he trying to make her mad? She's already sensitive. Why in the world is Jesus doing this? And so the woman says to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now look at Jesus' response to her. O woman... Great is your faith. Be it done to you as you have desired. For this saying, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter, and the child was healed instantly. So what is happening here? Boil this down really quick. He's doing this for the disciples, folks. He is using this thing in this person's life for other people because, see, the thing is, she worked with it well. She coped with it. Could you cope with it well? Can you cope with the irritations and the tragedies in your life well so that other people can learn? She didn't know that Jesus was using this as an object lesson. I'll give you a really quick summary of what's happening here. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, the Jewish feeding. And he has been categorically rejected both by the Pharisees and by his disciples. This is the downturn of his popularity. The Pharisees come after him and they get into a little tussle with him about eating food with unwashed hands and everything. Jesus offends them at what he says. And from then on, he wouldn't go down into Judea anymore. He stayed up in Galilee because he knew they were trying to kill him. From Galilee, he goes to Tyre and Sidon. But what he is doing is he's launching the Gentile aspect of his ministry. So, all the boys, all the twelve disciples, they're true Jews, right? And they love Gentiles, right? Wrong. 
And so they go up to Tyre and Sidon. And what you don't see after this is he's about to feed the 4,000 after this event here. And the 4,000 is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee where the pigs were and everything. I mean, you know, uh, pork. And those people ate bacon and all that kind of stuff. And then on that other side were all the Gentiles. So before that happens, this woman comes to Jesus And what does he demonstrate to the disciples? This is the demonstration of the disciples. Because Jesus, by not saying anything to her and walking away, knew that this woman was going to cry after them. The disciples are the ones who come and beg Jesus to send them away. They are fully alert now. This is a bad situation. This Gentile woman is chasing us. Get rid of her. How did Jesus know that he could talk to her like this? And what he would say, this provocation would fall on fertile soil. I'll give you a little Bible study thing to do here. Go check in the New Testament, in the Gospels, every time a person addresses Jesus first as the son of David. That's like a magic clue. Everybody who addressed Jesus as the son of David had great faith. So when she comes in the door and she falls before him and says, O Lord, Son of David, cast this demon out of my daughter, what Jesus heard was, and what he saw was, this woman has amazing faith. And he knew he could do this with her. And that even though from our standpoint this seems heartless and it seems like a provocation, he knew that what he was going to do with her was going to turn out well, and it would be a lesson for the disciples. Because what did the disciples just see? Here is a Gentile woman that has faith in a category that is just beyond our people, and maybe even beyond their faith. This Gentile woman was totally understanding of who Jesus was. And so this becomes a huge lesson for the disciples because the disciples are going to go from here to feeding 4,000 Gentile men on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And that's what initiates. Oh, and by the way, you know how those, when Jesus did his little preaching tour on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, um, who had uh, kind of done some of the, the, uh, um, the work for him there was that demonic guy. Because that's where the demonic guy was from. He went to the Decapolis. So anyway, the irritations. How does Jesus use them? One, he uses them for us. He uses them in us to produce something. And we need to let him do that. We need to be sharp. We need to not let irritations in our lives, things that are bothering us, things that make us really sensitive, we cannot let those things go unchallenged. If you do that, it's just like if you have an infection, you let that thing go, who knows where it's going to go. The idea is you take it to God. You take it to God and you see what He's going to do with it in your heart. And you realize that some of these things that God intentionally brings into your life, because this woman was just like Hannah, right? It wasn't her fault. God allowed something to happen that she was faced with. But... God used it for other people. And isn't that what we say? Why did God leave us on the planet here? To make us holy and to make us untouchable and squeaky clean with no ring around the collar? No. We deal with exactly what everybody deals with. 
you got flooded, your neighbor got flooded. How are you handling it? Right? Are you handling it in a way that shows that God is in control of your life and that He can use this for other people? Or are we just living for ourselves? We break out of ourselves a little bit for Sunday. We come here, we do our dance, we go back to our lives, and we're working in this little hole, and nobody can even see that we belong to Jesus Christ. And He's doing amazing things in our lives. So, God will do something with the things that we have here. Now, the other word that I've only got a few minutes to talk about, but I probably won't need all of that, I hope, is the idea of resentfulness. Now, you have a note in your Bible that it means something like recording or taking account wrongs that have been done for you, remembering them. In the Greek, it literally means basically writing it in a ledger. You write it in a ledger. So this person walks, oh, I've got this against them. Boy, I did that to me. You remember these things. And the interesting thing is, the interesting thing is that resentfulness, and the RSV puts them together like this too, resentfulness and irritation work together. When you resent someone, it's hard to be friendly around them. Now, I'm not going to turn there, but the best illustration for this in the Bible is Joseph and his brothers, right? It says that that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of his brothers. And when the brothers saw that Jacob loved him more than them, and that's the cause of it, they could not speak a peaceable word to Joseph. Jacob created this mess. And when they knew that our dad loves him, and this is all the brothers, it said that they could not speak a peaceable word. They were easily provoked. They were irritable. And they were deeply, deeply, deeply resentful. Back then, they didn't have ledger pads. You had to write it in stone. And for them, it was written in stone. So, in this situation, Paul says, the other thing about love is you cannot allow resentments to grow. You've got to deal with resentments. And the problem with us is that um, all of us have resentments toward one thing or another. They just come to you. Whenever there is an injustice, okay, it's recording a wrong done. The word there being wrong is the operative word. There's something that happened. Maybe it was perceived on our part, but maybe it was real. If you've been in a family, how many people here have been in a family? Uh, good. I asked that question one more time, one other time. How many people here have been born? Only about three people raised their hand. Things have been done to you, you know. And uh, if you weren't emotionally ready to deal with it, you you caught on to that a little bit. Uh, if you've been at work, there may be things that were done to you there. I mean, I know people who actually had work stolen off their desk and published under another name. And there was nothing they could do about it. What do you do like that? What do you do when somebody breaks into your house or steals something that's yours or uh, messes up your car in a parking lot and drives away? These are the kind of things you tally. And in marriages, this thing is its rampant in marriages, you know, because you have to love one another in a marriage, Right? you got to love one another. So you just go, ah, 
And you start storing up these things you don't talk through. And then you realize, I, you know, we can't talk through this because they're, they're stubborn and they're not going to want to talk through it. And so, my, you know, uh, when we lived up in DeSoto, Texas, um, our garage was in the alley, right? I didn't even know what the front door of my house looked like. Because we always came in the garage. But you know what it is for most couples then? Is that the garage becomes like a trophy case for resentments. And you walk into the garage, and it doesn't matter what happened on the way there, all of a sudden you get there and you see these things that you haven't talked through. Some of them may be literal things, you know, but, but it's the idea that by the time you get into the house, your heart is already hardening up on you. And then you're touchy. And I always tell couples, look, eventually you have to deal with them, but here's the thing you do right now, is like plan going forward and doing something positive together. But sometimes those things just need to be talked about. Here's the reality of life, though. In life, in church, this is always going to happen. Somebody's going to step in front of you. And nine times out well, not nine times out of ten, but sometimes there is no justice. You can't go back and talk to somebody who hurt you. There's not going to be restitution. There's just, so what do you do? Now, obviously, if I say go to God and trust Jesus and read the Bible every day, that's what you expect me to say, right? But I have an even better solution than that. Okay, now, I want you to think of something you're mad about that somebody's done to you. Now, it can't be, it can't be something you need counseling for, okay? It's got, it's got to be kind of trite, you know? Uh, somebody dented your car door, or keyed your car, or they, they stole something from you, something, you know, something like that. Okay, I want you to think about that right now. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. You have just won $160 billion. You just won $160 billion. Wow! And the reason I chose $160 billion is the federal government is going to take half of that anyway for taxes. But you've got $80 left. You've got $80 billion left. Whoa! I mean, that makes you richer, I think, than Bill Gates. That makes you richer than that Frenchman from Omaha, Nebraska, Warren Buffet. I mean, you're a rich person. You stole my car. You can keep it. I'm going to buy another one. I lost my job. Let's go to France on vacation. We got money. I mean, it would change your, you know, I've been in, I really, I, I know this seems really trite, right? But I've been in a situation before and I thought to myself, what would restitution look like? And kind of comically in my own head, I thought, you know, if I had a million dollars right now, I really wouldn't even care. You know, because the thing is, there's something about gaining uh, treasure or having Resources beyond your imagination that takes the sting out of a lot of things. Do you know where I'm going with this? We have all been blessed in Jesus Christ beyond our imaginations. Right? Now that's why it's important to stay in the Bible. Because here's the deal. We are going to live forever with Him. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness to us. What is God being kind look like? And that's going to be for all eternity. The immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness to us 
And they're already ours. They're ours. Do you believe that? Yes, uh, that spiritual heavenly junk you're talking about again, right? No! This is real. Just like this is real. And just like the universe is real. Just like we're real. It is real. When Jesus rose again from the dead, He said it's all real. There is no knowing Him. It's all going to be fulfilled. We are rich beyond comprehension. Our future is laid out. They can hit me with a bazooka. And I hope I smile just before it blows up. Because I'm going to live with Him eternally. And that's the kind of stability that God is trying to bring into our lives because He knows not everything on this earth will be cured. But your question, our question is, how much do we cherish that? Is it really that important to us? Or is that, yeah, spiritual stuff. Yeah, I know about that. Yeah, yeah, I've got all the riches in the universe, but it's all in escrow right now, right? Okay. Is it real? See, because God expects us to live as if it's real. And that's not easy. I mean, that's not easy. But imagine if you had $80 billion right now, right? The boat, the car, the vacation. Hey, can I buy that island? You can buy Greece, right? They're bankrupt. Go buy Greece. You and your wife can have a picnic up on the Parthenon. But see, the, spiritually speaking, we have all that. And that's what God expects to use right now to help us get over resentments, to get over injustices, to get over those things that until he wipes away every tear, they're still going to plague us. So the question is, how big is God in your life? And that's why you need to be in the Word every single day. You know, this week was uh, Psalm 107. And you know what? Uh, Psalm 107 is basically singing lessons. Uh, don't don't go there. Just let me read um, a couple of verses here. Just singing lessons. That's all it is. It talks about the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Let the redeemed say so. I'll, uh, we'll call that singing. They were thirsty. They were lost. They were wandering. They cried to the Lord, and He delivered them. We should be singing about that. They rebelled against the Lord, but He brought them back. They cried to the Lord, and He delivered them. They were out in the sea, and they were lost, and they thought they were going to die, and they cried to the Lord, and He delivered them. And you know, the thing is, you know, the most important thing we can share with our neighbor and the reason that the Lord kept us here is just to talk about how He delivered us. That demonic guy, he didn't have theological training. He never went through any course on how to share his faith. Jesus said, just go tell them what the Lord has done for you. And they were amazed. And when Jesus got down to the Decapolis, tons of people came out to see him, all because of that one man. And the true blue Jew, Jew guys, his disciples were standing there going, I hope he doesn't want us to eat pork. But God was getting them ready for that too. So... You will never get over the propensity to irritation. I may be irritating you right now because you want to get out to that restaurant that you've made a reservation to for Mom's Day. And uh, if I keep you here too long, then you will count that as a wrong done to you. 
And now you'll be resentful. And all because of this message, which is supposed to go in the opposite direction. But the idea is, is that here the Lord works with us. The difference in our lives, whether we produce bitterness or pearl, isn't the lack of irritation. Is the presence of God in how diligently we are willing to just lay our hearts out before him, sit at Jesus' feet and say, hey, help us. Now, now I, I can think of a mom who should have been the most resentful person on earth. Who should have been the most bitter person on earth. Who should have been the most easily provoked person on earth. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary? Seeing her son crucified? I mean, she kind of knew who he was. She And they were all hoping that Jesus would would be something, and, and all the stuff that she had in her mind and her heart, don't you think for a minute that she didn't struggle? We know she struggled. And then she sees her son up on the cross, and he hands her off to the Apostle John. It says, woman, your son, man, your mother. And the Apostle John takes her. I think that Mary was at the tomb. Uh, there's, there's this other Mary there that you don't know anything about. Mary, the mother of Joseph, uh, James and Joes. Who are they? Well, James was one of his brothers. I think that's code for Mary. I think she was there. But he, she wasn't the first person that he appeared to. But can you imagine feeling all of this loss feeling all of this bitterness toward the Pharisees, toward your own people, toward your own country, to everybody. And then to see Him. Depending upon where our hearts are with the Lord, I don't think there will be anything better than that. To get through all of this and do the best we can with His Spirit, with His Word, and He knows this isn't a perfect place. He knows that our frame is dust. And we're trying to reach lost people for Christ. We're trying to equip another generation to go beyond us. It's not easy. But won't it be neat to see his face? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. Um, we thank you that we are not here trapped. Uh, even with some of the wrongs that we, the hurts that we still bear and things that are still make us very sensitive at times, things that we struggle with every day and will struggle with until we die, uh, we still push on because of the love of our Lord. We don't do this because of religion. We don't do this because we're trying to somehow gain heaven. We do it because of our Lord. We do it because in your word you show us over and over again. Your steadfast love endures forever. There is no place we cannot go. There is no crisis that can come into our lives that can blacken our hearts if we hold on tightly to you and we allow that to push us to you. And what comes out of that is the tokens, the the evidence of the grace of God. Uh, We see people... uh, coming to faith. We see people wanting to know more about Jesus Christ. We see people being able to interface with the love of our Lord just because of what He's done in us. And that's really higher than we can even claim. It's nothing we deserve but His work in us. And so we thank You. And we thank You that after all of this, it says that it is our Savior who will raise us. And it will be our Savior who we will meet. 
And so we just thank you for that. We thank you that you give us grace for every day and you are always there and always available. And hallelujah for that. In Jesus' name, amen.